You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We are uh, nearing the end of our study of 1 Peter. You'll remember I took chapter 5 out of uh, order, so we've already done chapter 5, so we are closer to the end than than it may appear. Uh, and we come today to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. If you would, please open your Bibles or your bulletins. Uh, and if you're able, would you please stand one more time with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, as we come to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of the word uh, in prayer here. Before we start, Father, by your spirit, I pray that you would come and enable me to speak your word uh, truthfully and enable all of us to hear it and to apply it in our lives so that uh, as we live our lives, we, we reflect well on you and show the world who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, over the years that I've been a Christian, uh, I have, of course, read a lot and studied uh, some about the end times. Uh, Many of you have done the same thing. I have examined the books of Revelation and Daniel. Um, I've parsed the chapters, uh, chapters 24 and 25 in Gospels, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I've studied uh, Paul's first and second letters to the Thessalonians. But I have to admit to you today that in all of my studies, I never studied 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And that's a shame because as I rediscovered uh, as I've been working my way through this letter, uh, this text is one of the clearest and most practical teachings in the scriptures about the end times and how you and I as believers in Jesus uh, should live in light of this, our, you know, the defining gospel truth that, that uh, God is returning to earth in the person of Jesus uh, in order to judge the living and the dead. Um, but you know, you start talking about the doctrine of the end times and a whole lot of people go crazy. Uh, Christians and, uh, and non-Christians alike, uh, non-Christians, and we probably have some here today. We usually do on every Sunday. Non-Christians, you, you tend to go crazy over this doctrine by, Ignoring it or mocking it or both, uh, right? Mocking the whole idea of a, of a future divine uh, judgment. Uh, and in doing that, perhaps you don't fully realize that, that by doing it, what you are doing is, is really uh, ejecting rationality and, and order and meaning uh, from your life, you know, without an ultimate moral accounting uh, from an ultimate moral authority, 
uh, our lives uh, really don't make sense. Uh, they become matters of opinion, uh, right? What we do, right? If, if, if look, if, if we human beings are never going to be judged uh, by, by, by a transcendent authority for our actions and our attitudes, then there, it doesn't matter how you live. What, how you live is a matter of your opinion. Uh, I'm convinced, as I've said before, that the increasing violence that we see in our society today is not attributable to the influence of religion. Some people say it is, that, you know, well, those Christians, they, you know, they worship this avenging uh, God of, of, uh, of judgment, and that makes them violent. No, it's what, what, what makes people violent is the absence of religion. You, you get rid of God, you get rid of the notion that you are accountable to God and you're ultimately going to be morally uh, answerable to him, uh, then, of, then, you, then life, you take life into your own hands, right? Um, you take justice into your own hands and, and we quickly turn law into lawlessness. So if you're not a believer here in Jesus today, think about the, 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 the necessity uh, of judgment. I think in some ways, even if you don't believe in God, we live as if there is one. Because we sense, I think, subconsciously that there, you know, we, we have to be accountable. There has to be uh, a difference between you know, good and evil, and, and some kind of a ju- ultimate judgment of it. Uh, Christians go crazy in this whole area of the end times by trying to figure them out, right? Trying to chart them out. How, how are they all going to play? How, how's, how's it all going to play out? Um, uh, I, you know, I became a committed Christian in my early teens in the my seven in the early 70s and man that was that's what we did as Christians right we we mapped out revelation and uh, you know our basements now are full of boxed books uh, that 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 did that and they they now sound silly because so many people got it wrong um Christians go crazy by setting dates, right? Setting specific dates for Jesus' return. Uh, Even when Jesus himself said that that date is unknowable. Making us all look like idiots when when that date comes and and it doesn't happen. Um, You know, C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. Right? That was Jesus' point. And in and uh, in their craziness, some Christians forget that. Um, some Christians are really on the lunatic fringe, you know, go crazy by quitting their jobs and going to mountaintops and stocking up on ammunition. Um, it's other Christians go crazy like the un, the non Christians do, uh, you know, just kind of ignoring the whole subject hoping it'll go away, uh, living as if it isn't going to happen. But that, that makes no sense either. Um, so into this uh, sort of mess, uh, here comes the Peter, right? An apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and a real voice here of practical sanity, I think. Um, this is a very simple text, isn't it? Dealing with a, a deep, complex subject but it's 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 very simple he 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 really just lays out here four things that believers in Jesus must do in light of the fact that as he put it the end of all things is at hand he came up in the Q&A just want to make sure I think most of you understand this when we talk about the end of all things it's not like existence ends right the end of all things is, is, the, is the culmination uh, of all things, uh, where, where God is, in his judgment, setting things right and, and restoring his creation. Uh, and, and all things are coming under his, uh, his lordship. Um, 
that's what's happening. And Peter says, in light of the fact that that's, a, that's coming, that's a coming reality, um, and it's closer today than it was in Peter's day, um, do four things. One, stay in touch with God. Two, love one another. Three, be hospitable to one another. And four, uh, minister to one another. Be ministers to one another. That, what I want to do today then is just look briefly at each one of those four calls to action. Okay? So first, he says, stay in touch with God. See there in verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. There it is. That's staying in touch with God, right? He's saying really that the only right-minded, reasonable, sensible thing to do in light of the coming return of Jesus is to be in communication with him. Pray. Now, if you think about that, that makes, you know, that's just a lot of common sense. Um, We can think about it in our own say, work contexts, if you, if you know that the, the big boss is coming from headquarters and he's coming to visit and audit and evaluate your store or your branch, uh, it only makes sense, right, to be in communication with that boss before he comes so that you can be doing what he wants you to be doing, so that you can have things ready for how he wants them to be, so you won't be caught uh, unprepared. It, you, know, you don't run your business like, like as, as if you were driving your car with your eyes closed. Right? Peter's saying, if you think realistically, if you think practically, if you think sanely, and he really is saying, think sanely. Uh, th- this, this, um, the word that's translated "self-controlled" here is is a word that is translated in the Gospels uh, usually as being in one's right mind, and where that is used notably is in the. Uh, episode where Jesus confronts the, the Gerasene or the Gadarene demoniac. The, the man who is uh, is uh, possessed by demons, and as a result, is uh, is has kind of lost his mind. Right? He's super strong, physically strong, but they can't. He's, he breaks chains. He's living in the tombs. He's running around naked. People are, of course, afraid of him. Uh, Jesus confronts him. Uh, and 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 casts the pigs, out, the the, uh, the demons out of them into the pigs, right? That's the story. And the pigs go running off the cliff, right? And that everybody is scared. But then they turn around and go to Jesus, and they're even more scared. Why? Because the the, the former demoniac is sitting next to Jesus, and it says, "There he is, seated, clothed, seated." And in his right mind. That's the same word here. If, if we're in our right minds, as we think about the reality that God is going to return in Jesus to judge, then we need to be praying. Praying makes you a God-mindful person, a God-shaped person, a God-prioritized person, a God-directed person. And that's who you need to be as God returns. So that's the first thing. We pray, and then when we pray, we, after we pray, we get up, and, and we do three more things, according to Peter. Right? Second, we love one another. And of all the things Peter says here, this is the most important, right? Uh, look there in verse 8, Peter says, Above all, There's the indication of its importance. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, what does Peter mean here? Um, He doesn't mean if you love enough, that will cover up your sins. That's not what's happening. And it doesn't mean uh, that we have a strong we all ought to have a strong emotional 
mushy bond with one another. Right? Uh, the, the biblical concept of love recognizes, you know, its emotional content, um, but it but it is always more about uh, what we do than what we feel. Um, uh, he's saying really something specific about love here. Um, he's he's saying, I think, I, I believe, he is um, uh, riffing on on the proverbs. Um, you know, these writers of the New Testament knew their Old Testaments, and undoubtedly, Peter has Proverbs ten. Verse 12 in mind as he writes this, Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And virtually all the good commentaries suggest that, you know, Peter must have been thinking about this. What, what hatred stirs up strife, but, but love covers all offenses. You see, he's in t- telling us we need to love each other. He's saying we need to live with each other. Here at New Life, we need to live with each other in a way that repels hatred and strife, in a way that doesn't magnify strife and division. Right? And, and love does that by Covering sin. Covering it. Not covering it up. Right? Um, This is... Love isn't a cover-up. Love covers sin like like, uh, when I pick up the check at, at, at the restaurant and say, don't worry, I've got it covered. Right? I don't mean I'm going to put my plate over it so you have to pick it up. Uh, right, I, I, I say, I, yeah, I'm, what am I saying? I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to pay for it, right? I'm going to satisfy our obligation to the restaurant here. Um, so so uh, we don't sweep sin under the carpet. We don't ignore it. We, we don't not confront people when, who, who need to be confronted about their sins. What it does mean, though, is that is that each of you must do the sacrificial thing, the the costly thing, the hard thing. You have to do what it takes to break the cycle of hatred and strife. Right? Amen. We don't, right, you don't, how do you do that? Well, you don't delight in finding the sin of another person. Right? Um, you don't expose the sin of another person. You don't disseminate the sin uh, of another person. What you do is you stretch in a costly way to cover it. You forgive it. You forgive it. And and the way you do that typically is is you... you, uh, proactively, right, go to that person uh, and you talk to him or her and, and not anybody else and you start that conversation by confessing your own sin, right, your own contribution to the, the problem, to the, to, the, to the hatred, to the strife, to the division. Um, that's hard. <laughs> that's, nobody likes to do that. It's costly. Um, I've told you before about a couple I was, um, I, I was counseling that uh, had had a difficulty with a mother-in-law, and they just were just at loggers' heads. and And I, my advice to them uh, was Jesus' advice. You know, just go and talk to your mother-in-law and, and confess how you have sort of contributed to the problem. Um, you know that's hard to hear at first, harder to do. Uh, but they did it, uh, and and what they discovered is, and what it, it, we often discover when this happens is that there is a remarkable um, uh, healing power in that simple act. I mean, Jesus, right? Jesus was right when he said, you know, 
don't, before you focus on the speck in your brother's eye, get the log out of your own. And that's, there's this remarkable power in that. Um, so that's really what he's getting at here, right? When he's saying, uh, love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. He's saying, you, you, we need to live with each other in a way that those sins aren't leading to hatred and strife, but rather bringing us, we're, we're coming together in forgiveness, right? Um, paraphrase Ed Clowney, who used to be here, um, and wrote, I think, the definitive commentary on First Peter. He says, you know, he, he, may, he was making an argument that, you know, obviously our love and forgiveness is, is of a different quality than Jesus. It doesn't, you know, Jesus, Jesus' forgiveness actually pays the penalty. But he says, are, you know, we don't do that. But, I mean, we don't have that kind of power. But, but our love and our forgiveness reflects the love and forgiveness of Jesus. We really do forgive, and our forgiveness always pays a price. Forgiveness always pays a price for the forgiver, right? And what Peter's saying is, look, in the view of the coming judgment, we need to be a community of people that are paying that price, And and just and, and you know undermining hatred and strife and, and and promoting love and forgiveness. So that's that's the uh, the second thing. Third thing he says is you know okay we pray we love one another and then third we we are gladly hospitable to one another. And verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first, uh, you know, was looking at this, it, it initially struck me as, yeah, this is, this is kind of trivial. I mean, really? I mean, he's talking about, you know, a big issue. We're in the end times, you know, so how do we live? Have someone over for dinner. Oh, really? Um, it seems kind of unspiritual. It seems overly simple. But the more I thought about it, the more I got it. Um, there is, if, if you'll forgive me, something almost magic about sharing a meal around your table in your home. Uh, yeah, sometimes, it doesn't happen always, but sometimes, and just because it doesn't happen isn't a reason to not show hospitality. But sometimes when I'm in a hospitality situation, having people over, it all clicks and the conversation is, is ro- rolling, it's warm, and my heart is full because I'm experiencing this, this communal act of friendship and fellowship. And, 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 and it, it becomes sometimes... What happens in a, I, in a fleeting moment, I have really a transcendent experience. It's, it's very close to what I've experienced um, and just tried to describe to you when I take in natural beauty. Right? When I'm standing in, in Yosemite Valley or when I'm standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon or when I'm at the beach uh, watching... A sunset. Sometimes that natural beauty almost, almost, but not quite, but almost seems to put me in touch with something, someone, right? That isn't the beauty. It's, it's, it's someone or something, right? It's, it's hard to describe. In the beauty, over the beauty, Bigger than the beauty, we know it's someone, right? I, and I've I've called that experience the frustration of beauty. Before I knew other people had it, um, and and uh, I can have a similar experience like that at my dining room table eating a sandwich. You know who knew? But I mean, that's the remarkable, I think, power of 
of hospitality. Why, why does that happen with hospitality? I think it's, it's because sharing a meal around a table is, is, is you're doing something very close to the heart of God. You're doing a very godly thing. You know, the, that, the Bible is full of those metaphors you know, that you know, describe heaven as you know, a banquet and a feast. Jesus was forever going into people's homes and, and eating around their tables. He loved doing that. You know, it's, so, so when, we, when we do this, it's such a simple thing. We're doing a, a deeply godly thing. Um, one thing that's true all the time about hospitality uh, is that once you've had someone over for a meal your relationship always gets ratcheted up, right? It, it happens automatically. It's, you, you, you may not, never even interact with that person again, but somebody will mention him or her and say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I had them over. You know, I, I had shared dinner with them one night. Um, right? That's different. That's, you've, you've notched that relationship up because something intimate and welcoming and accepting has happened when you've welcomed them into your home. Um, And another always truth about hospitality is that while I sometimes grumble about it beforehand, Linda would say the always truth is I always grumble about it beforehand. (laughs) No, not always, sometimes. The always truth is that afterwards, even if I've grumbled, I'm always glad we did it. Always glad. Because I, I, I always walk away the blessed one. You'd think I'd learn my lesson. I'd stop grumbling. But it's true. This is, you know, this is so remarkably simple and so, yet so deeply profound. And I know a lot of us are doing it. But th- this, is, this is a grace that every church can improve in. And I would love to see new life. Um, you know, just... just blow open the doors with our hospitality, you know. Because the reality is, I know uh, that there are people here, students, uh, seminarians, uh, widows, young couples, old couples, you know, you know, who would be grateful, so grateful for an invitation to your home. And, and I, one of the reasons I think we hesitate so often is that it's probably the reason why I grumble is that we make it such a big deal, right? That it, you have to, you know, the house has to be perfect and the, you know, the meal has to be, you know, right out of uh, Bon Appetit. Uh, it doesn't. In fact, that works against it. Um, the, uh, I, there was a, a, a woman, single woman in our church for years. She's no longer here, but I, she talked to some young moms uh, some time ago, and who were uh, lamenting that they don't do hospitality as, as much as they'd like to, because you know the young kids just trash the house and it's chaos. And and she and she's you know she said uh, you know when, when, when I always think when people come over, you know they're coming to see me, not my house. Um, and and quite frankly. It's 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 better if 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 it isn't picked up and you're you're not you know doing this gourmet meal. It's it's freeing when they see what a train wreck your house is. It is, you know, and how you might struggle, with, you know, with, with 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 the kids. It's that's okay, but the the point is being together and eating around the table. And welcoming another to that table of yours. Um, when I st- studied in England uh, in my sophomore year in college, it's going a long way back. Um, for six months, it, the, the, um, the, our class schedule was just, they would they would stack the classes at the beginning of the week so that every week we had a long weekend. Um, and, and so we could use that long weekend to travel. They figured, you know, we're over here, 
you, you, you want to travel. So we'd study hard at the beginning of the week, and then every week you have this long weekend. And so at the beginning of every long weekend, I would um, put up my backpack on, I'd walk out to the street, and I would start backpacking. I mean, hitchhiking. For six months, I hitchhiked all over the UK by myself. Um, I wouldn't advise that now. So parents, you know, don't say, well, you know, send your kids over to Europe. Say, Pastor Ted said, he, you know, we could. Uh, I'm not sure I'd do that now, but that's what I did then. Um, and uh, I've... And it, I was fine. I have some, I've had some interesting adventures I'll tell you about sometime. But um, wherever I found myself on Sunday uh, in the UK, might be Wales, might be Scotland, might be uh, a big city in England or a tiny little fishing village in England, every Sunday I would find a church and, and go and worship in, in that church. And almost every Sunday, almost every Sunday, not 100%, but close to it, I got an invitation to lunch. In fact, it was so dependable, I started counting on it. <laughs> right? I, I, this is a pretty good deal. I'm a, I'm a starving college student, you know, limited budget. Uh, I had another good reason to go to church, right? Get, get fed. Um, and... Uh, you know, the, the people that had invited me, in every case, you know, they hadn't planned on it. They didn't even know I was going to be there. Um, but they, they had me in. And, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't into perfect houses or, you know, gourmet meals. And, and as I think about it, it's all, the, it's all the more remarkable when I look at the photos of how I looked back then. Um, I... I I had long, bushy hair down to my shoulders, sometimes in a ponytail, often not, scarier when it wasn't. Um, you know, jeans, uh, dirty down jacket, and a backpack. I mean, I was not exactly an impressive guest. Um, in fact, I, I was often, you know, uncomfortable walking into their churches. I usually sit in the back somewhere. Uh, but... How I looked didn't affect me, man. Every Sunday, what a blessing to, to go into those homes and to eat and laugh and learn from brothers and sisters in Christ that I didn't even know I had and to receive their love, right? It, it was great. It was transforming. And, 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 you know, I'd love New Life to be that kind of, of church. Um, and then finally, fourth, Right, so we pray, we love, we we um, we uh, show hospitality, uh, and then we serve one another. We minister to one another. Right, I'm. You guys know, in my job as pastor, I'm a player coach, and one of my jobs as the coach part is to prepare you to equip you for the work of ministry. Um, and that's what Peter's getting at here in, in verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You know, that, that's loaded, a couple of verses. He says a lot that's relevant to you. That, that you need to hear about yourself, right? He says that each of you has received a gift. That's a gift from God. Um, probably more than one, but at least one. And he, and he says you are to use that gift not for your glory, not for your benefit. Um, and that's a temptation with spiritual gifts, right? We've had people come who've, said, you know, I have a spiritual gift and I, I need to exercise it. And, you know, that meant me, you know, sort of leaving, getting out of the pulpit or whatever. Uh, it's, you know, there are times when people want to exercise the gift really more for themselves. It's more about them and, and being noticed or being appreciated 
Peter says, don't do that. It's, it's not, you, you've received a gift and it's, it, it's the, for the benefit of your brothers and sisters. It's not for your glory. It's, it, it's not for your benefit. It's for your brothers and sisters. You're to use it as a trustee, right? He says a steward, uh, right? It's your gift, but, but you're accountable to the giver for how you use it, like a trustee or a fiduciary. Uh, and you are a, you, you are a, a trustee of, of God's varied or full-spectrumed grace. The word there can actually be translated multicolored. I like that. God's multicolored grace. Right? It, just, it emphasizes, one, how different we each, all, all of us are, how differently gifted each of us is, and, and, and how necessary it is that you know, the, that all of us come together, the full spectrum of God's grace and gifts come together to do the work of the kingdom. No individual can do the entire work of the kingdom. It doesn't happen. It's the, it's the work of the church. And, and, and it requires each one of your gifts. You need my gifts. I need your gifts. Um, they're all necessary, if not equally noticeable. You know, I don't, some people are, you know, reluctant to kind of do it because you go, ah, you know, what can I do uh, or nothing? You know, I don't, I, I don't do anything important or I don't do anything that people notice. Uh, look, one of, my gift gets noticed and the exercise of it gets noticed. That's in the nature of the task. But one of the things, and hear me here, one of the things that I have learned and and continue to learn is that those of us who exercise noticeable gifts in the church could not do what we do without without the quiet gifts i mean it all depends on it the the, the preaching here the teaching here depends upon those of you who are in your closets praying it, it really does. If, if you weren't doing that, this would be a very different place. It would not be what it is. Um, so, you know, don't be, don't be dissuaded from this if, if, if your gift is, is not noticeable. Most of them aren't, right? Hospitality, encouragement, prayer, helping, um, you know, these are by and large exercised without a lot of recognition uh, or notice. Uh, but God, God knows, and God notices, and uh, we're doing His work together, and 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 it has to be together. And the other thing He says here, and it it doesn't quite come through as strongly in the English as it does in the Greek, but. The, the, the idea is that, you know, when you serve, um, the God will supply, how does he say, he will supply the strength, uh, you, you will serve by the strength that God supplies. But that strength that God supplies is, sort of comes to you as you serve. So don't wait around for some supernatural zapping when you sort of wake up and go, whoa, I'm, I'm gifted to do X today. No, you, you find, find a gift, discern your gift, and start exercising it. And as you do, God will supply the strength that you need uh, to, to, to do it. So don't be put off or afraid that you won't be able to perform, you won't be able to, to do it. God will enable you to use your gifts. Um, so that's it, right? I mean, no charts, right? No complicated formulas. The end of, th- of all things is at hand. So pray, love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another. Now, and, and it, the focus here is on us, right? This, we're, he's talking to this congregation. The, the, uh, that's not... Right, the Bible talks elsewhere about the need to show hospitality to strangers and and right the need to provide 
service to the, to the you know, alien and those sorts of things, right? But it's not that we're not to do that, but, but Peter is specifically focusing on our life together as Christians in, in the church. Um, and, and so I could stop there, but I, let me just, as we wrap this up, let me just address one more question. It's a question I had because, you know, it wasn't obvious to me how these four things sort of relate to the future coming of Jesus, right? So Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, pray, right? Love, serve, uh, be hospitable to one another. Uh, what's the connection? You know, how, how, does, uh, how, do, the, how do those two things things relate to one another it's not you'd you'd think that there might be something like you know i expect most people would think that peter would say something like you know the end of all things is at hand you know clean up your act right but that's what he doesn't say that um so what's the answer what's the connection well here's the answer i'll close with this there's really two parts to the answer first is the the, the, the more obvious one, right? As we do these things together and, and we're doing them to help one another, we're, we're helping each other get to the finish line, right? We, we become Jesus' hands and feet to, to each other, carrying us to the finish line. We're helping each other hang on, right? Helping each other persevere in the faith, grow in our faith, grow in our love for Jesus and for our brothers and sisters. And that in itself is preparing us uh, for Jesus' return. That in itself glorifies God as he closes this text out, right? That we're to do all of this for the glory uh, of of the Lord. Um, But second, I think this is, this may not be as obvious, but I, th- I think this is really where his, what, 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 he's, what he's driving at here. And, and it's every bit as important. Um, you know what an advanced team is? You know, when the president plans to go to a city, uh, he, you know, he sends the, an advanced team out. And the advanced team scouts everything out and, and gets things prepared for the president's visit, right? In the first service, I had a a Marine say, you know, you're talking about recon. Okay, recon. Uh, But it's, I think a way to think about what Peter is saying here and the connection here is that the, the church of Jesus Christ is like an advance team that God sends before him before he returns, right? And so the church of Jesus Christ is, is planted here on earth as, 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 as God's advance team and, and, it estab- and it has all these established outposts all over the world, right? Call those outposts what you will. Churches, congregations, right? New life, we're one of those. We're one of these, these advance team outposts, um, and, and when you and I here at New Life are, are doing what we're supposed to be doing, and when all the Christians in the other outposts of God's advance team around the world are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Praying, and then sacrificially loving one another, opening our homes to one another, ministering to one another, what are we doing? We're showing our neighbors an alternative universe that they may not even know existed. But that's exactly what we're doing. It's, we're showing sinners who are on their way to an inevitable confrontation and judgment with God that there is another way and that there's hope and that there's salvation, that there is a kingdom Where we, where, where we can flourish as human beings. Um, so our church life together itself becomes an evangelistic force. See? 
And, and to the extent we're effective as that evangelistic force is the extent to which we do what Peter says here, right? And, and as we live together in the way God intends, we're going we're gonna to have a magnetic appeal to some people. They're, they're going to see this and be drawn to it, right? Why? Because we're wired this way, really. We're wired to live this way. Um, it, we're, it's, in fact, you know, even the people that may not be magnetically attracted to what they see, uh, deep down in their hearts, have the craving for what, what's happening when we love one another, when we serve one another, when we show hospitality to one another. There's some, there's, there's a deep, Longing in everyone's heart for that kind of thing, right? Uh, why? Well, because we're we're reflecting the character of God, right? We're reflecting who Jesus is. Um, the um, and I know this to be true because I've had men and women, and and I suspect you have too. I've had men and women come up to me multiple occasions. Uh, and and ask me, who are you? Right? It's like it's like that Butch Cassidy. Who are those guys? Right? It's, who are you guys? What what club are you in? I mean, um, and, and and what has what has caused them to ask me that question is that they've seen things. They've seen you doing these things. They've seen you bringing meals to one of their neighbors. They've seen you picking up one of their neighbors for a ride and then dropping them back home. They've, they've seen you show up with groceries and put, put a bag of groceries on, on, on the porch of one of their neighbors. They've seen a bunch of men show up and, and do uh, all kinds of household repairs for, for, the, for the widow on the street. They've seen a, a, an, another bunch of men jump out of a truck and build a wheelchair ramp uh, on, on, on a home. Um, or they've seen, and th- this is a common one, uh, it's where I often get the questions. Um, I'm, I'm in the hospital when you guys invade the ICUs, right? Uh, and, and, and hospital rooms with, uh, with laughter and prayer and singing and sneaking in food. Um, right, that's, people see that. And that's what, that's what Peter recognizes, right? That the, the end of the time is, the end of all things is coming live in a way that you show them an alternative universe. You show them God's kingdom. We've kind of blown it in the last couple of years in some ways. But, you know, this is, let's repent and move on and, 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 and do this thing. And the reason we can do this is because we're not afraid. And we're free. We have no fear and we're free uh, because judgment, the judgment, the coming judgment holds no terror for us, right? God has meted out his judgment already on Jesus uh, for our sins. Uh, And since God will not extract a penalty for the same sin, you know, double penalty for the same sin, that would be unjust you know, then we're covered. We're covered, not covered up. We're covered by the forgiving blood of Jesus. His blood paid for the penalty for our sin. And so death, it, judgment holds no, no, no fear for us. We, we've, uh, you know, we don't do these things in some desperate attempt to look good in the coming judgment. Right? You're already going to look good in the coming judgment. Right? Because Jesus has already taken the judgment for you. 
and you have imputed to you His holiness, His righteousness. And so we are absolutely free. In, in a world that is under this, the threat of this judgment, to, to, to live this alternative universe, right? To show them the kingdom, to show them the love and the forgiveness of Jesus uh, as we live that life together. Um, and, we, and, we're, and we're motivated to do that by our love for Jesus and our gratitude for his sacrificial love for us. Amen? Amen. Pretty simple, right? Profound subject, simple, simple sermon from Peter here. Let's, let's pray. We'll pray silently for a minute or so. Um, I suspect this sermon has brought up in your minds the same things that it's brought up in mine. You know, how can I love better? Uh, who, 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 who do I need uh, to forgive? Um, you know, how can I show hospitality? Um, wh- where can I serve in the church? What, um, you know, talk to God about these things. Um, and let's, uh, let's do that for just, just briefly. I'll, then I'll close this in prayer. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for the gospel, the good news that uh, Jesus took our judgment so that we do not have to fear the coming judgment. Lord, help us to live out your kingdom life here at New Life in such a way that we help each other and we show the world who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.